Go ahead and open your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Acts chapter 14. As I mentioned, we are studying the uh, missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And I have to tell you that uh, our study in Acts has come at such an excellent and appropriate time in my life, and I believe in the life of our congregation. Many of you know, and you've read the updates in the newsletter through no other means, that your leadership team has been working together and our Preparation 2021 team has been working together to make sure that we understand who we are as God's people gathered together as Pendleton Street Baptist Church. To make sure that we understand that God has a mission for us and clarify what that mission is and to, to get a vision for how God would glorify himself and accomplish that mission in and through us as a congregation. I will tell you that uh, we have come a long way and and we're praying for clarity on God's vision for us. He is our vision. He needs to capture our attention. He needs to capture our hearts, our heart fully His. And then He works in us and He works through us to accomplish His purpose as He's continually drawing us closer to Himself and refining our character. This is an active and ongoing activity. God works today. God works in us today. God works through us today. God speaks today. We've been focusing on clarifying who we are and what God would have us to do to pursue the mission He has for us. And the next step for this is is the development of strategies. Now, I think that's an important thing for us to do. We need to have a plan. We need to be able to say, here's where God is calling us and here are some things that we can do. As we see, for those of you who have been following us with the flickering lamp study. And if you haven't, you should. And if you can't make the Sunday school class, we have books that we purchased for you on the table back there. Go pick up a free book by Henry and Richard Black. It'll be called Flickering Lamps. That details their experience and principles that help a church become vitally connected to the power of God as they accomplish their mission for His glory. Now, I love the way that Dr. Blackaby writes. He tells, he does... He, he tells the stories. He, he, he can relate not only the theological principles and the biblical truths, but he, he relates and communicates in a way that, that speaks clearly to your heart. And I would encourage you to do that, but I want you to understand that what we're looking at and what he says very clearly and what Scripture repeats very clearly is that we want God to be glorified in us. We want to see where God is working. We want to move along with Him. We want to, to, to be obedient to all of the opportunities, all the door that he, doors that He opens for us. And we need wisdom as we do this. What is our strategy? What do we put on the calendar? What do we put in the church budget? How will we plan our days and map out our steps? And this is, this is not only congregational, these principles apply to us as individuals and as families as well. But it should never be enough that we simply do church or that we just gather once a week or that we simply have a close circle of friends to walk through life with. There's always something more, something that's different, something that we should be investing our lives in. This morning as we take another look at Paul's first missionary journey, it's my hope that we will understand and embrace our individual and family and congregational strategy to fulfill our mission of glorifying God by making mature disciples of all nations starting in the West End, starting in our community. Paul and Barnabas in our text in in Acts chapter 14 had been sent out by God in chapter 13. We saw how the church at Antioch and the elders there under the leadership of the Holy Spirit had uh, uh, 
commissioned them, sent them out under the leadership of the Holy Spirit to do what God had set them apart to do. We've tracked them through Cyprus and to Antioch and Pisidia. We've seen the recurring pattern of they come and they preach and they face opposition and they persevere and God brings fruit. Now this is not simply some sort of history lesson, even though that's fun, isn't it? History is always good. Not to be rewritten and changed, obviously, but to learn from. But particularly, history is recorded in Scripture so that we may see God's working and know more of God's character and how God has worked and how God does work. This is how God chose to work then and how God continues to work today. And there are many things that will change with time. Time changes. But there are some things that will never change. The sinfulness and depravity of mankind, the need for a Savior, the grace of God, the common grace of God and the saving grace of God. But there are some things that we must not allow to change. The unchanging truths of God's word, the gospel once and for all delivered to the saints. And so picking up in Acts chapter 14, read with me just the first few verses together. And we'll be reading this passage, referring back to it as we go through our time together this morning. Now they've left, as I said, Cyprus, and they've come to Antioch and Pisidia, and now they're traveling on, filled with joy in the Holy Spirit, by the way. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke, and that's, you need to get this, when we talk about what the strategy is, I want you to see what their strategy was, how God set them up to be missional, or to be on mission. They entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both the Jews and the Greeks believed, but... The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, which is, great, which is isn't that a great juxtaposition? They had enemies who were poisoning the Gentiles' minds against the brothers, but they remained. They stayed. They remained speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace by granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles, a small a, those who had been sent out on this missionary trip. And when the attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. The first thing that we get as far as any sort of missional strategy, how to reach Greenville with the gospel, how to be used by God to glorify Him by making mature disciples of all nations, the, the, very, the very basic foundational thing is something that you know, is something that I know. If you've been a part of a church for any length of time, you've heard this again and again. We have a great commission we have a, a, a mandate, a duty, a responsibility, a joy, a privilege. And that is simply to share the message. To share the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. To proclaim the gospel. It is central to what they did. Verse 1, they spoke and many believed. Verse 7, they continued to preach the gospel. Verse 21, they spoke and they preached the gospel. Verse 28, you see again and again, they will go. And the, the central aspect of any strategy that glorifies God, of any activity, of any believer that glorifies God, is sharing the message. Now, I'm using sharing the message instead of proclaiming the gospel because sometimes when we think of proclaiming the gospel in that terminology, we think of a preacher behind a pulpit. We think of a broadcast. We think of some sort of formal setting. But I want you to know, and we see this throughout the book of Acts, we see it in how the church at Antioch was even begun. 
message. Sharing the message is the privilege and it is the responsibility and it is the joy of every believer in every context. Your job, your, your family, your network of friends, your, your grocery store, your vendors, what, whatever your context is, geographical or relational that God's placed you in, you have the privilege and the joy. God invites you to be a part of His redemptive work by representing Him and consistently sharing the gospel. It is an indictment for us that this thing we know to do, this thing we are commanded to do, this thing we have multiple examples of in Scripture taking place, this is the thing that so often we least do. Whether we're embarrassed or whether we feel unqualified, whether we feel ill-equipped, Whatever, whether it's distraction or, or whatever it is, although we understand that all we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned everyone to his own way, we understand that we have all sinned against our Creator and have justifiably earned the judgment of a righteous God. And to put it very simply, the consequence of that is death. The wages of sin is death. That every person apart from Christ is condemned already. We, we understand that. But we also understand, and we understand, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to rescue us, to redeem us. That God has demonstrated His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, still sinners, still rebelling against Him, Christ died for us. Just like in that last sermon that we saw in Acts chapter 13, Paul preached to them, Listen! Through this man, there is forgiveness of sin. Through this man, you can be freed from what trying to obey the law or be good enough could never free you. The gospel of grace and acceptance and forgiveness and restoration. And here's the thing, guys. We know it. We've experienced it. We must be talking about it. We did a whole sermon series not too long ago simply called Let's Talk About Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus, uh, who He is, what He's done, the difference that He's made in our life. This is central to what we do. As a church, do we, do we feed those who are hungry? Yes. As a church, do we clothe those who need clothing, particularly in the winter, with coats and hats and gloves and those needs? Do we do that? Yes, we do. Uh, as a church, will we pack a box of toys and necessary items that can be distributed around the world for children yes absolutely these are all good things the motivation for all of these things though is as a means of demonstrating and speaking the glorious good news of jesus christ you understand that right when those boxes are delivered the gospel is proclaimed when we gather on uh, GPS on Tuesday night and the children of this congregation gathered together. And I was out there, I don't forget when it was, Mark, three weeks ago, maybe? Uh, and they were standing outside, the sun was setting and Mark was going through the gospel. Lost salvation through Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. When we do what we do, we do it as a platform because we have something that is more valuable than anything that passes away temporally, and it is forgiveness of sins in the Lord Jesus Christ. God gives us the miracle of being saved and born again, of being brought from death to life, and to be at peace with Him, 
to be forgiven, to have our guilt removed, to be restored and to be made whole in our relationship with them. Now, in these early days before the New Testament was written, God put his affirmation, his seal, so that everybody could know, yes, this guy is my representative. Yes, these people are speaking for me. By giving them the ability to do signs and wonders, God allowed them his power to have people healed. And that happened in one of these cases. We see one of these in this context, picking up at verse 8. When they got to Lystra, there was a man who was sitting there, and he wasn't able to use his feet. He had from birth been crippled, and he had never walked. Get that now. From birth crippled, never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Wow. The power of God on display. In the body of this man, who was crippled and had never walked, he didn't have to take walking lessons. You understand that, right? He was immediately made whole and immediately able to walk. This was a great miracle, testifying to the crowds that Paul and Barnabas were apostles, were sent out representing God and bringing his message of salvation. Paul, capital A apostle, Barnabas, small a apostle, Brothers in Christ sent out to proclaim the good news. Now, immediately in this context, there was a problem. I don't know if you guys have heard the story. We'll read it. In Lystra, in that city, the Roman gods were worshipped. And of the Roman gods, there was a legend that had come down that was certainly common at the time. And it was that Zeus and Hermes had come down in the form of men and had tried to be accepted by the people and it was looking for hospitality but they were treated rudely and rejected and so they punished the people well when these people saw paul and barnabas and the miracles the hand of god upon them they they responded in what we would consider to be an unusual way picking up at verse 11 when the crowd saw what paul had done they lifted up their voices saying in lyconian the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. So they figured Barnabas was Zeus, that's the boss. And then Paul was his representative, Hermes the speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowd. Sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas with the crowds. Now, I... Can you imagine how Paul and Barnabas must have felt? First, can you can you imagine? Uh, this is not their goal, not their intent at all. This is as bad a misunderstanding as you can get. Here they are, faithfully proclaiming the word of God. God displays His power through the miracle of healing to this man uh, that had that is now able to walk as a demonstration of the power of God, and yet they ascribed it to Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas, well, they responded, verse 14, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments, and they rushed out into the crowd, crying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are men, just of a like nature with you, and we bring you good news. Now, what is the good news? That you should turn from these vain things. To a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. 
in past without witness. For he did good by giving you the rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. Listen, as we share the message, it's going to be intimidating and we're going to face challenges. We need to understand that sometimes this task is difficult. Don't think it wasn't difficult for Paul and Barnabas. The first thing right off the bat, they're misunderstood. They're misrepresented. But they continued to share, and they shared faithfully. Now, there are three words, if you're taking an outline, when under share the message. There are three things that I want us to class, clarify here that is in, in, in this section of this story, this account that takes place. First of all, we need to share faithfully. Being faithful to the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine this. Paul and Barnabas have just been used by God to conduct this miracle where this man who had never walked now jumps up and he stands up and he's whole and he's walking completely. The people come and there's a big crowd now. Certainly there's a crowd. But they want to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. And so now they've got this crowd. They could have placated the crowd. I'm glad you've all decided to attend today. With the authority that you're granting to us, don't offer a sacrifice to us. There's only one word. And they could have soft-pedaled your religion and told them, well, you know, you're kind of okay, but you're missing something. But they didn't. They stayed faithful to the extreme demands of the gospel. What does he say? We're men just like you. Don't, don't sacrifice to us. Don't worship us. We are men just like you. But we have a message. Our message, we're bringing you good news. What is the good news? That you should turn from these vain things. This temple you've got at the door. This priest here who is collecting bull. Those of you who have been worshiping Zeus and Hermes and trying to get these blessings. You need to understand that it's foolishness. That is vanity. And there's hope only in one, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we, we stay faithful to the truth of the gospel. There was no cultural accommodation here. None. But, how did he present the gospel? He didn't go back to Abraham. Why? Because this was not a Jewish crowd. He didn't go to Moses and David like he did in the synagogue in Acts chapter 13, like he probably did in the synagogue earlier in, 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 in Acts chapter 14, verse 1. He went back to creation because his crowd was a Greek crowd. Because this was the, the audience that he was speaking to. He knew his audience. And he began with where they were. And he declared to them, that God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. And that doesn't mean he approved that. It means like Romans chapter 1 says, he turned them over. He let them go. He let them engage in this idolatry and this false worship. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Listen, the common grace that you experience is to point you to the fact that there is a God, a creator, one God. And he begins to explain the gospel to them. And so we, we proclaim the gospel faithfully, but we also proclaim the gospel appropriately. 
appropriate to the context. Start where your listener is. When you are talking to people in Greenville, when you're talking to people at your job, what do they know? What is their experience? What is their background? How can you declare the glorious truth of God to them in a way that they will hear it and understand it without compromising the eternal message of the gospel? But the other thing is simply the third word, faithfully, appropriately. The third word I would have you write is persistently. Even in the face of severe opposition, they continued to proclaim the gospel. As a matter of fact, continuing with this passage, the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. And they dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city on the next day. He went on with Barnabas to Derby. So you've got the picture. They come in and they preach. God uses them to miraculously heal a man. They want to, the crowd gathers. They want to offer sacrifices to them and worship them. Paul and Barnabas has shut that down and said, there's only one God. He's the creator God. And now, here's how you know him. And they, they preach the gospel message. And now, the crowd that had been for them was against them because the gospel is an offense to our human nature to our selfish desires many times it's an offense to the way people were raised their background things that they have known and while there were those who believed there were those who did not and of course the enemies came and they started the crowd and so now instead of trying to honor paul and barnabas they take paul the speaker and they stone him they throw rocks at him And they do that to kill him. As a matter of fact, when they thought he was dead, they drug his body outside the city gates and dropped it off there. The pattern that has already been established that we see and that we should be experiencing is that as we are faithful to the gospel, we will see God move and work and some people will respond to the gospel. But there are others who will stand in opposition to the gospel. Suffering is part of the Christian life. Suffering is part of how God refines us, how God develops our faith and our trust in him. It is the pathway to maturity. We, we spend a lot of time in the book of James. And you guys know that James 1, that the passage of Scripture says that we should count all these trials with joy, greet them as a long-lost brother, because it is through that process that God deepens our faith, that God brings us to maturity, that God glorifies himself. As a matter of fact, we'll see Paul sharing a message very similar to that, the same message in different words in just a little bit. But when there is opposition and when there is suffering, we don't stop. Now, I don't know what sharing the message will cost you, but I'm going to tell you, it will cost you something. It may cost you a friend. It may make you a more lonely person. It may cost you a job. It may cost you a promotion. I I don't know what it will cost you. But I will tell you that we proclaim the good news of Christ in a world that is hostile, hostile to the gospel. Not as hostile in this country as it is in others. But there's a cost. Here's the good news. It's worth it. What was the song we sang just a little while ago? Lay down your life. He gave his life to us. We give our lives to him. And frankly, on the scale of suffering of Christians through the ages, we barely make the scale. He's worth whatever it costs for him to be the Lord of our life, for him to be the boss. 
is what Paul said to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 29 of Philippians. He says, It has been granted for you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Central to reaching Greenville with the gospel is to speak the message of the gospel, to speak it faithfully, to speak it appropriately, to speak it persistently. Now, the second part of this strategy is equally interesting. Having faced severe opposition in every stop along the way, you would think, listen, we went to that place and we had to escape. We left Derby, Lystra, we, we had to run to the next place, to the next place, to the next place. So it's time to go home. Let's take a different route. That makes sense, right? That's a reasonable approach. Is that what they did? It's not. Matter of fact, let's pick up in verse 23. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations, here's the message, through many tribulations, suffering's coming, we must enter the kingdom of God. Let me tell you what they did. They shepherded the people. So whatever strategy that we have in your family, whatever plans you have in your life, whatever strategies we develop as a congregation, the gospel is central. We share the message. Amen? Somebody say amen. Say it loud. Amen. We share the message. We share it clearly. We share it faithfully as it's presented in the New Testament, the gospel that we've experienced. We share it appropriately in multiple contexts, in our communities and in the context that God places to live us life, live our lives. And we share it persistently. When it gets hard, we don't stop. As a matter of fact, sometimes we just go to the next place and start all over again. And sometimes we stay in the same place and get louder. Following the leading of the Holy Spirit, the gospel is central. But we are not in the business of simply making converts. This is not the idea where you preach the gospel, people respond, and you say, God bless you, and that's it. There's no further care. Paul and Barnabas turned around and went back to the cities where they had faced persecution, town by town, congregating those believers together. And he spoke to them. What did he do? It tells us in the text. He strengthened them in their soul. He encouraged them. Now, how did he encourage them? It's going to get hard. We must face difficulties. Many difficulties. This is how God refines us. This is how God develops our faith and trust in Him. This gospel that He proclaimed that was an offense is now in their hands and they're going to experience some of the same things that He has experienced. And so He teaches God's Word to them. Now, it's not explicit in this text exactly what He taught them, but it's explicit throughout the New Testament what Paul taught. He taught the Word of God. He taught the life of Christ. He talked about in, uh, in other texts that He's written, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me Paul and Barnabas what were they doing in Antioch they spent years at Antioch equipping and teaching and nurturing and feeding the people and so now these people who have believed they're going back town by town and they're strengthening them and they're encouraging them and they're preparing them to face whatever difficulties they face so face so that they can stay faithful And so, why would you do that? 
Because they loved the people. They shepherded the people. They cared not how many people they got to report back when they got back to Antioch. They cared for this man who was saved out of a Greek background. This man who was a, a, whatever his job was in that place. This family, this woman, this child. They knew them. They loved them. They invested their hearts and their life in him. Whatever strategy we engage in has to be a strategy that loves people. Amen? Has to be a strategy that loves people enough to invest in them, to teach in them, to nurture them. Whether it be teaching a class, whether it be developing a relationship with a new believer, a young believer, and you just meet with them on a regular basis to instruct them in how to study the Word of God and how to pray and how to walk in faith and how to go through difficult times. We don't leave people hanging. And the way that God does in God's original plan and God's plan that He established and that we've been studying all along is He, he congregates people into a church. We see that Paul didn't just meet with a few, he congregated them. And the other thing that he did here was he appointed leaders. He appointed elders. Verse 23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. The next part of this strategy, guys. God's strategy seen very clearly in the New Testament. Our strategy as a congregation, obedient to God is to start new churches. We share the message. We shepherd the people. And we start new congregations. That's how Antioch was started. By the way, this is not simply identifying a church planter and going and sending them out. This is full engagement. This is prayer. This is uh, engaging our resources. This is engaging, engaging our energy and our time to be a congregation that replicates itself and that plants churches. It's important that we understand that God, that Paul trusted God with these congregations. And that God's plan to bring glory to himself and to proclaim the gospel to the world, his only plan is the church that he established, the believers that he congregates. The gospel message as it is proclaimed by these believers, the shepherding and the teaching and the instruction that takes place, the congregating of new congregations. And frankly, at this stage, when they're writing, these are brand new churches, but over a period of time, we see in a lot of Pauline epistles, he is seeking to resurrect or to correct churches who have lost their way. And so we want to be a part of revitalizing churches that have lost their way. We want to be a part of those who plant new churches. Now, I don't know what you know about our congregation, but we have partnered with the church at Cherrydale, now Christ Fellowship, to help plant the church at, at Blue Ridge, which is now Christ Fellowship Northwest. And so we were a partner three years with them, with, with Ted and Robert and those guys. We have partnered with the Greenville Baptist Association to help meet the needs of Christ the Redeemer Church that's over in Brandon. Many of you went out with us over there a couple of times in the past to worship with them. Next week, Jason Reed's going to come preach. You guys, many of you know Jason. He served on our staff for a number of years. We're going to claim him as one of our own. He's going to share with us how God is leading him to plant a church in Piedmont. These are exciting days to see 
people that God has called and is commissioned and is sending. It is a big goal for us to share the message consistently and to shepherd people appropriately and to start new churches. We want to be a partnering church, but we want to be more than partnering churches. When we talk about a vision from God, my vision, our vision, God's vision for us, I believe, is to be a church that sends people out to plant new churches. To sends people out to plant new churches across the United States and to other countries around the world. And it's a big vision. And frankly, we can't do it. We can't do it for God's glory. We can't do it in our own strength and we can't do it in our own wisdom. But God can do it. God can do it in us and God can do it through us. Listen to how this journey came to an end. Verse 24. We read this earlier. As they're coming back, they stopped. They've appointed elders. They've planted churches. He says, then they passed through Pisidia and they came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word, there's, there again, verse 25, the, the, the sharing of the message, they went down to Italia and from there they sailed to Antioch, their sending church, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived, they gathered the church together and, listen, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. And, and this is the last point in the outline. And I want to make sure that we, we get this. this. This is really kind of the most important thing. These guys have been on a trip. And it's been a preaching trip. And I think that they would say it had been successful. They had seen people who were physically healed. But that's not what made it successful. They had seen people who had been saved. Who had been forgiven of sins. Who were now children of God who are now congregating and now they had people who were being led by elders but it's always kind of struck me as funny that at the most Paul and Barnabas were in each of these congregations a period of months and they come home they they left them there they trusted God to do his work in and through these people with appropriate leadership appointed elders in every congregation with the Spirit of God who, infill, who, who, who indwelled and led those congregations, they trusted God with those congregations, which means to me that, this, and even in this statement that they made, they shared what God had done through them. The undergirding of all of this was dependence upon God through fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. So if you are taking notes, the undergirding of all of this is that we need to be a people who pray fervently. Why? Because it's not our work, it's God's. Why? Because if it's done in our power, it doesn't glorify God. Why? Because God can accomplish what no one else can. I had a seminary professor who told us young preacher boys, you're going to get called to a church, and they're going to look at you, and they're going to say, you're our Savior, you take care of us. And you need to understand from the very beginning, you can't do it. That's not your job. It's not your calling. Some of you are going to be perceived as the rescuer of the congregation. If you rescue the congregation, it's going to be temporary and it's going to be sorry. You need God to rescue the congregation. Just as He's rescued you, He rescues them. You are not God's gift to ministry. Ministry is God's gift to you. God chooses to live his life in you and through you to accomplish his purposes. And God can do what you can't do. We get so, and I, I'm guilty of this, 
And, and I want to make sure that we, we get this really clearly as a people. We're developing missional strategies. What does that mean? Listen, we don't have to come up with new stuff. The Bible makes it clear. We share the gospel. We share the message. We love people. We shepherd people. We invest in their lives. It, this, is, this is not a, a really hard thing for us to do. We, we start churches. We revitalize existing churches. We congregate people so that the word of God is proclaimed and infused into the life of people. But whatever we do, we do in the power of God, which we have as the children of God. Paul in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 1, when he's praying for the church at Ephesus, he says, I pray your eyes will be opened. I pray that God will turn the light on. I pray that you'll understand something. What? The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is working mightily in you. Nothing is impossible with God. He can do exceedingly abundantly all that we can ask or that we can imagine. And so our lives are lived for His glory. And He brings fruitfulness. Where the gospel is proclaimed, I always find this interesting, where the gospel is proclaimed, there are always two responses. There's never an apathetic response <laughs> in these passages. There are two responses. There's the receiving of the gospel, the surrendering of a life to Christ, forgiveness and freedom. Or there's opposition and resentment, criticism and scoffing and even persecution. As the people of God, we trust in the faithfulness of God to accomplish His mission and His... Pr- that's Two weeks in a row that I've been preaching that's happened. Uh, we, to accomplish his mission and his purpose in us and through us. Isn't God good? Aren't you glad to be a part of what God's doing in this congregation? Aren't you be glad to be a part of what God's doing through multiple congregations across the city of Greenville? Aren't you glad that he's given us a, a mission field, a mission to accomplish? And the means by which to do it through sharing the message, through shepherding the people through starting new churches as we depend on Him, praying fervently. Folks, God is at work. And I pray that our eyes will be opened, that we might see where He is working, we might see where He is sending and deploying us, that we might clearly see the strategy, the steps, the budget, the calendar, the resources, the investment that God would have us to make as He protects and provides, as He saves and as He calls, as He transforms life and as He brings glory to Himself. It is a great mission to be a part of. It is a great mission to be a part of. Father, thank You for the privilege that we have. By Your grace, to be a part of this work. We think of Paul and Barnabas and their mission trip, and sometimes we think, oh, they took a short-term mission trip. Isn't that cute? And it is so far from cute. They traveled. They preached and they proclaimed. They met in synagogues, and they met wealthy people, and they met poor people. They met Greeks and Romans, uh, Italians, uh, they met Jewish people. They met those who were religious and had forgotten God. And they met those who never knew God but were worshiping idols. And yet they were faithful to consistently proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. 
to proclaim forgiveness of sins through Jesus on the cross. And wherever we start a gospel conversation, Father, we are grateful that it always takes us to the cross of Christ. Christ crucified. Christ risen. Christ coming again. And so, Father, my prayer is that we would be faithful to this strategy, that we would be faithful to this clear teaching and this clear work, that you would move and work in us to accomplish your purpose through us. It's exciting to be one of your children involved in your task. We love you and we thank you. In your name I pray. Amen.